Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. So good to see everybody again this morning. Uh, I was supposed to be done with this series last week, um, and uh, as I got to study in this week and, and for the next couple of, of messages that I'll be doing, I just felt in my heart, and I think you're going to see this morning, this ties in um, so like seamlessly with what we were already talking about, and, and so I've just kind of decided to keep the, uh, this, this message as part of the, of the rerouting series that I started at the beginning of the year. Um, because I just I just think it fits so well, and if y'all excuse me just for one sec, I'm uh, fighting off a little bit of a cold, so nobody use this microphone after me. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, I'm just I'm, I'm excited about the lesson today. I, I hope it speaks to you and blesses you. Um, and and in this series called Rerouting, we're we're you know here in January, and of course it's a new year, which means we all have new resolutions excuse me, and new goals in, in just about every category of life. But as we've been seeing in this series, it, it's not our intentions or it's not the goals themselves um, that get us where we want to go, but rather it's the steps that we take day in, day out. It's who we follow. It's the path we follow. Maybe we put it this way in our, ser- in our series that it's the person that we follow and that we continue to follow day by day that will determine where we end up. Just wishing won't make it so. Um, and so last week we talked about the fact, or we admitted uh, here in church to each other that we've all made goals more than one year in a row, right? Anybody ever had the same goal from one year to the next? Which if you had to have the same goal a second time, it means that you didn't reach that goal the first time, right? We are failures. Everybody say, oh me. But we all have goals that we thought we'd have reached by now. Good goals, important goals for goals for life, goals for career, goals for marriage or finances or maybe our spirituality. But at different times in pursuing those goals and different times as we found ourselves on the path toward those goals, uh, we lost control of ourselves, right? It's what happened. We're on that goal to the new, fit, skinnier you, and then somebody showed us donuts. And then we just lost control, and, and so we got detoured on that path to pursuing our goals. And when we lost control, we landed on this idea that when you lose control of yourself, something or someone else will find control of you, won't they? Right? When we lose control of ourselves, we actually give control to someone else. But if we could ever if we could ever get a handle on this thing, I mean, if we could ever get, you know, master this thing, self-control, we would be world beaters, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd be skinnier, we'd be fitter, we'd be wealthier, we'd be healthier, we'd be happier, we'd be closer to God, we'd be less tempted by donuts and other sins. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, yeah. Lord, help me. But we would, we would just be less tempted. We'd be less broken down, less detoured and derailed and on the side of the road, right, with the flat tires of guilt and regret that have just hamstrung us and made us make the same goal year after year. But the cool thing is, we've, we've seen this in our, in our series, that self-control can actually be driven. It can actually be energized or, or kind of fueled by heavenly goals. 
And, and, and 3,000 years, you know, for over 3,000 years, the Bible's been talking about this, but psychology and research are kind of just starting to catch up with what God's been trying to tell us all along, that there's this idea of sanctifying our goals, seeing our goals in the light of God's promised future. And when that happens for a person, all of the research is showing, the Bible's been saying it for thousands of years, that when we see our goals in the light of God's future, there is an undeniable impact on our energy and our drive and our commitment to keep our goals. And really, this is where Christians, Jesus followers, have an advantage over everybody else because everybody else has to figure out a system for deciding what things are kind of enduring, what things like kind of deserve to be put in the light of eternity because there are some goals that just aren't worth it, but there are some things in life that are really worthy of God's future. And if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian and if you'll trust what he says, you don't have to have the angst and the anxiety of figuring out what's most important or figuring out what's really critical to life, right? We believe, we, we just trust in the one that we call wisdom personified. We just put our trust in Jesus. We put our trust in, in the logos, the, 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 the truth of our creator God, right? He's the blueprint for what it looks like to be fully and completely human. So we just follow Jesus and we're, we're not ashamed about it. Can I hear an Amen. We're just, we gladly surrender to Jesus. We gladly kind of give up and, and, and gladly make him our king. There's this, this quote that we say around here sometimes. I stole it from somebody else, but I love it. He said, you know, if there's somebody that could predict their own death and then their resurrection and then pull it off, like let's just go with what he says, right? So, I mean, that's the way that we feel about Jesus. And so this is kind of where I want to pick up on one of the points that we've been touching on over the last few weeks, that Christian self-control is really about self-surrender. Everybody say that with me. Christian self-control is about self-surrender to someone who radically, radically loves us. That's what Christian self-control is really all about. We decide that we're not going to lose control anymore, but we are going to intentionally surrender control to someone who's wiser than us, someone who's stronger than us, more present and more faithful and more able than we ever will be. And so as Christians, that's what the Christian life is all about. Now we engage in the process of tuning our lives to his presence. Now we kind of engage in the process of tuning our ears to hearing his voice. And Jesus talked about that, right? The ones that really follow me, they know my voice and another they will not follow. We, we kind of start to allow his words to influence us. We, we don't just listen to the words of Jesus, but we trust him enough that we put them into practice. And how many know that he'll never let you down? So we can either lose control to behaviors and to things that work to condemn us, or we can surrender control to someone that we trust and someone who loves us radically, and that's Jesus. But, of course, Jesus blasted off from the earth 2,000 years ago, right? He's gone. Anybody remember that part of the story? He rose from the dead. He's with his disciples, and he gathers them all around, right? And he's kind of giving them their marching orders, setting it up. They're going to take over the movement. They're going to take over the kingdom and, and kind of advance it out into the world. And he looks them in, in the eye, and he says, hey, guys, go into all the world. And they're thinking, yeah, we're going to go into all our world. And he's like, no, 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 not all your world, all the world. And make disciples, make followers of me out of every kind of people in every language all over the globe. And, and, and then baptize them in, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And, and surely, he tells them at the end, and surely I am with you till the end of the age. And then he left. 
I am with you till the end of the age. And then he left. Like, how does that work? But we find out as the story continues that even though he left them, Jesus did not leave them alone. How many glad about that? And what he had promised them before he left was a brand new context for their relationship. That while he was in the body, he was limited to one location. While he was on earth in the body, he was limited to one voice and one set of feet and one pair of hands. But he told them they should be glad that he was going away because he was sending something. And I like the way he put it. He said, I'm sending you someone that is going to help you, someone in my place. And this new context is, is going to turn each of you into an echo of my voice. This thing that I'm going to send to you, this one that I am going to send to you, is going to turn each of you into another pair of hands for me, another set of feet for me. I am going to send you the comforter. And then he even prays for us, literally for us. He prayed for you. In John chapter 17, he actually prays for you and for me that we and all of the saints for 2,000 years and all of the saints all over the globe, that we would be united as the body of Christ. And he left this earth in his physical body, but he sent the Holy Spirit to create a new kind of body. And that's what we are as the church. We become the body of of Christ by the indwelling spirit that Jesus promised. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? And so his disciples, they remembered this, this new thing, this, this special last night when he made that promise sure. And it's the night that he was about to be arrested and they had gathered around for the, lost sup, the last supper. And, and Jesus told them, listen, guys, I, I've got to go and die. And they're thinking, well, you're not going to die. Did you see the crowd today? They loved you. They wanted to make you king. And And Jesus says, no, I've got to go and die. But don't worry, you guys know the way to where I'm going. And one of them speaks up and he says, listen, we're not even sure you're really going to die. We don't know for certain where you're going. How in the world will we ever know the way? And Jesus is telling them, guys, guys, you're missing the point. My movement is going to advance through you. But I've seen you guys up close. He kind of looks at them sideways. If it's dependent on you alone, this whole thing's in trouble. But don't worry, but be glad you are not in this alone. And he tells him in John 16, 7, very truly I tell you, it's for your good. Somebody say it's for my good. That I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I will send him to you. And Jesus would say, I will send him to you, and to you, and to you. Think about that. To you. Turn around and point at somebody. Tell them to you. To you. Now, this word advocate, in in the English language, we're looking at the New International Translation. In the original Greek that John wrote this in, the word was parakletos. It's kind of a fun word to say. Say it with me. Parakletos. There you go. Like when Caleb was smaller... And I put him in soccer. He said, Dad, I need a new pair of cletos. Like, not big cleats, just cletos, just, you know, paracletos. But it's this word that the New International Version translates as, as advocate, right? And we kind of know about that in our, maybe our legal system, that if you can't afford a lawyer, that there will be an advocate who will come and will help you out and they'll plead your case for you. 
Jesus is saying, I'm sending you an advocate. Other translations and other places where he mentions the parakletos, it's, it's set up as a guide or as a comforter. The phrase that literally tells us what it is, is it someone, and I like that someone, not something, someone summoned alongside for our help. Jesus says, I'm going to summon the parakletos for you. And, and what we are reading here is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And you can read it for yourself in John chapters 14 to 17. I'm going to send you the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. One time he calls it the spirit of truth. And this is the plan for all of God's followers. Jesus said, if I go, I will send him to you. To you. To you. To you. Everybody say, to me. But that was all new to them. They'd never, you know, they just had a regular relationship with Jesus. You know, we're standing right here. He's standing right there. There you go. But now you're telling us there's a new way to be in relationship to you. It was all new to them. And it's frankly, it's, it's new to some of us, isn't it? And then if it's one of your first times in church or, you know, maybe you're not like sure about where your faith is or sure where you are in following Jesus or being a Christian, it gets a little bit weird, Right? Because we know that this word advocate here in other places, it's called like the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus is going to send me a spirit. Jesus is going to send me a, a, a ghost. Is it at least a friendly ghost? Like, you know, and, but the, and it, so it gets a little unnerving to us. Like it, this is when things get weird. And especially like we have that Pentecostal context. And you're wondering if somebody's going to like break out snakes or something. Like what's going on with the... The ghost stuff. I'm not really sure about the ghost or the spirit thing. But then we kind of know what this is about, right? Anybody ever heard a story or an interview of someone that like has done something amazing, but they've had a loved one that's already passed away, and they say you can kind of they're all emotional, right, at the end of their achievement or the end of the marathon or whatever it is, and, and they say, you know, I did this for my dad who has passed on, and I know he's watching over me. Anybody ever heard somebody say something along those lines, right? I know my grandma is, is watching over. That's the idea that Jesus wanted us to catch. It's, it's me here with you right now, but I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I am sending the parakletos, the advocate. I am spending, I'm sending the Spirit, the Holy Spirit back to you. But it's not just going to be a sentiment. It's going to be a living vibrant force on the inside of you because you need help. Come on, somebody say, I need help. Because you need something more than what you have on your own. And so I might leave you, but I promise you'll never be alone. Mm, mm. So Jesus is saying, this is for your good. And the Spirit of God is present with you through me right now. But if I go away... You will experience God in you in the future. And this is a big deal. Like, you've got to get this. If, if you were part of, you know, went to a church before, walked away from church at some point, or maybe it was your grandparents' faith or your parents' faith, and you kind of just didn't get it. Like, religion just kind of felt like this weird system of rules and good and bad things. And, and when I don't keep the rules, I feel guilty for a little bit, so I go to the church, and then we'll just, why not cut out the middleman and just not feel guilty anymore, right? And, and just, why, what is church? That's never what church was meant to be. That's not what Jesus came to give us. Christianity was meant to bring you close to God. Christianity was meant to put you back into relationship with God. So close in relationship with God that His Spirit would actually live in you and in me. It was never meant to push you away. 
It was never meant to condemn you or leave you questioning what it was all about. It was, it was never meant to be about this rule keeping where you have to kind of like force yourself to not do bad things and you try harder on your own, which means you fall harder on your own and then you suffer consequences on your own and then you got to get back up on your own and, and try again on No, no, no. Jesus has provided something that he knew we would need. And he said, it's for your good that I go away and I send this back to you. So I am summoning that Holy Spirit to your side, literally God in us. The power of self-giving love, giving love to us. The power of self-giving love flowing out into our world through you and through me. Something way better I'm keeping a bunch of rules. It's about a new heart and new desires and a transformed person and new way of thinking and new values and not values or thoughts that originate with us, but the values and the thoughts and the desires that originate from the parakletos who has come to live inside each and every one of us. So if Christian self-control is really about self-surrender, then this is the way that we engage in that process of self-surrender. We live day by day and moment by moment. We get our willpower and our strength that we need to surrender. It all comes from that day-to-day living relationship with the parakletos, the spirit, the advocate, the one that has been summoned alongside to help. Jesus has left the earth in his physical body, but he has not left us alone. He said, in fact, in John 14, 17, one time, talking about the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, to which all his disciples started looking around, right? But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And what Jesus is telling them is, in is better than with. In you is better than with you. I don't want you to just spectate as I love others. I want you to experience what it is inside of me that is compelling me to love others. I want the same power that moves me to move you to love and to touch and to heal and and to forgive and to lay down your life for the sake of others. There's going to be a whole new way for you to follow me. Now, this is huge, isn't it? This is different. This was not religion 2.0. This was not church 2.0, something that they had always been used to or some way that they had always been in touch or connected to God. This was something brand new that God's spirit would be living inside each and every one of us. But it might be messy and blurry at times, right? Because every wife knows that sometimes husbands are hard of hearing, right? Every parent knows that sometimes kids have selective hearing, don't they, right? The kids act like they don't understand. We act like we don't understand. Come on, you act like you didn't get the email. Can I hear an oh me from somebody? Well, I didn't know that was important. I just deleted it. Anybody ever practice that in the corporate life? I can remember that, man. You get email chains. They, uh, <laughs> this is horrible. I can't believe I'm telling on myself. I used to have all my mass emails just go straight to the trash bin. And I figured if I ever got a second notice about a subject, that's the one I probably needed to pay attention to. But somebody didn't mess with me after the first time. I was probably all right. And it worked. It worked. I didn't get fired for a long time. No, I'm just. (laughs) But staying in touch with that internal guide, staying in touch with the spirit 
living inside of us. It, Jesus was telling them, he was, he was setting them up. Listen, guys, it might be messy and it might be blur, you know, kind of blurry at times. Like, remember Matthew, just like when I found you, right, before you got your life all cleaned up and set in order, right? Follow me, even though you don't have everything in order. Just like I'm, it's going to lead you into conversations that are going to be over your head. Remember, Nathaniel, when I called you? And I was talking to you about things that I never should have known anything about. Remember, Nathaniel, that Holy Spirit's going to lead you into conversations that you just don't get with your natural mind. It's going to lead you to walk away from some things, but I promise you greater things. Remember, Andrew, when I called you to walk away from the family business? So it's like this wild goose chase following the Holy Spirit, but the goose is on the inside. Anybody ever been on a wild goose chase? No? You should go. Come see me after service. I'll send you on a wild goose chase. Anybody ever hunted snipes? Anybody ever been snipe hunting Can't, while you're out camping? Come on, raise your hand. You've been snipe hunting. Nobody's been? They got like one over here, two over here. That's it? Oh, man. We're going snipe hunting, y'all. This summer, we're going to go snipe hunting. Yes. Anybody ever been on a wild goose chase? When you're on a wild goose chase, you're not even sure what you're looking for, are you? What in the world? You want me to get what? It's like your wife sent you to the grocery store for that one ingredient, right? Like, I'm not even sure I'm in the right place. Like, I don't know how much cash. I mean, will I have enough money to buy this thing once I find it? Like, is it going to work? Like, why, is it, why am I even here? Why am I doing this? Why isn't it somebody else that's doing this, right? I remember the time... I was, uh, I, I was kind of debating whether or not I should tell this story or not. I think I'm going to tell this story. And, Mom, I was kind of thinking you weren't going to be here today. <laughs> I remember the time when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And uh, my mom sent me on a wild goose chase. Had to ride my bike to the grocery store to purchase some items that sometimes women need and men never do. That's right, 10-year-old boy, get on your bicycle. And the thing was, that was before debit cards and ATM cards. And mom didn't have cash, but what she did have was a big bag of loose change. So on my bicycle, 10-year-old Jared has to ride to the grocery store. And then I proceeded to have a wild goose chase through the grocery store for something that I didn't know how to describe, didn't know exactly what it was, and had to ask for help to find. Right? And then you have to get up to the counter and pay with loose change. It's just like weird and awkward and you're not sure what it really looks like. Anybody know what a wild goose chase feels like? Sometimes it feels like a wild goose chase trying to follow the Holy Spirit. Any spiritual veterans know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever been unsure of what God is leading you to do or where God is leading you to? My God, will you please show me? Will you please speak to me? Jesus, where's your Holy Spirit leading me? I, I thought that that's how things were supposed to end up. So why are things like this? I thought that's who I was supposed to be with. Why am I with him? No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that part. Jesus, are we there yet? Jesus, I'm not even sure what this is supposed to look like, right? And Christian dating, like, Jesus, what's that meaning? And if you don't love the man in that profile picture, nobody's going to love him, Jesus. And forgiveness, you want me to forgive them? Like, maybe you don't remember how badly they hurt me. Maybe you don't remember how wrongly they treated me, we say to the innocent man that was crucified, right? And there's fear and there's doubts, and we're not sure if we're good enough. 
We're not sure if we got into this thing early enough in our lifetime. We're, why do I feel like you're asking me to do that and to go there and to say that and to be that and to serve him or serve her and God? And why can't you just magically teleport me to that stage in my life where I'm supposed to arrive and, and let's just forget the journey altogether? Why do you have to be my help? Why can't you just do the work for me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got a little quiet in the room. Anybody know what I'm talking about, that sometimes following the Spirit feels like a wild goose chase? But I don't know a serious Jesus follower who has not had whole seasons of uncertainty in following the Spirit of God. And here's the thing. If we as Christians don't acknowledge the intentional uncertainty of following the Spirit, then we are going to wind up in moments and times when we wonder if there's something wrong with us where we wonder if we have missed it and God has passed us by, where we wonder if we're too old to matter anymore, where we wonder if we are talented enough to make a difference for Jesus anymore or at all, where we will feel like failures and we will get impatient and we'll go off and do something that's out of the will of God and it can feel like there's something spiritually wrong when really we're just living out exactly what Jesus promised would be our experience. Does anybody remember when Jesus said this? The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with so it is with everyone, everyone born of the Spirit. Anybody ever watched people play golf? Seen a golfer and they get out there on the course and they lick their finger and they hold it up in the air trying to find the direction of the wind, right? It doesn't work. I know because I've seen Calvin golf. The wind just swirls around, man. The wind changes direction in a moment. The wind that's blowing where I am is different probably than the wind that's blowing 50 yards down the fairway. And Jesus is saying, just like you can't predict where the wind came from or where it's going next, so it is to everyone born of the Spirit. There's a different direction to their, to their lives. They zig when we think they should zag. They move this way when we thought the normal course of life was to go that way. They seem to live for different goals than what life and culture and society have taught us that are important. People of the, born of the Spirit do things that don't make sense to unborn people. We love the unlovable. Hello, somebody. We call ourselves a family, and we ain't all related in here. But we are, aren't we? We call ourselves, and it doesn't make sense to other people. This world is, oh, man, I'm, I'm getting out of my notes, but I love, I love my church family. I love the diversity of color and race and background and age and everything that I see here, spiritual history and spiritual past. I love the diversity that we experience, and we are. We are a church family. We are brothers and sisters. Oh, come on, point to somebody and tell them, I love you, man. I love you, man. James, I love you, man. We are family. And if you're new here this morning, if you've maybe just been coming around a little bit, listen, doors wide open. Come on in, sit on the couch, kick your feet up, take your shoes off. If they stink, put them outside. Like you got holes in your socks, just 
borrow some from somebody or whatever, but come on into the family. Jesus has created something brand new and so counterculture, and it is awesome. We don't chase things that take control of us. We don't pursue the temporary. We seem to live for what endures. We forgive the seemingly unforgivable things that have been done to us. We give to people, even strangers who are in need, with no expectation of, new, of repayment. We are different like Jesus was different. We show the world light when the world is shut down in darkness. We show the way forward because the Holy Spirit has been given to the church church and we follow him into a different kind of future than we would ever or could ever find on our own. Mm, mm. A wild goose chase. A wild paracletos chase. Sounds like parakeet, doesn't it? Say it again, paracletos. Yeah, if you're Spanish, it carries a different meaning. But following the leading of the Spirit should seem like following the wind. It should gust and ebb and flow, and moments where it's calm, and moments where it blows violently, urgently, causes us to move. It should direct us to do things that we have no commandment for, but we know reflect the spirit of our King, reflect the character of our Savior, which means that if you are living the Christian life, and you have God's direction all sewn up, and there's no more mystery and there's no more challenge, and there's no adventure to your Christianity, we may be doing it wrong. There should be nothing more disorienting. There should be nothing that challenges us more than passionately following Jesus with all of our hearts. But if following the leading of the Spirit never makes us scared, then maybe we're not really following the Spirit. Maybe we've drifted in what I call backward Christianity, where instead of following the Spirit, we invite the Spirit to follow us. Instead of serving His purpose, we want God to serve our purpose. God, give me this. God, send her my way. God, will you do that? Let it be me, Lord. Let it be me. And God knows you can't handle that. She will wreck your life. And what if you don't need God to do it for you? What if, in fact, God created you and resourced you to do it yourself, but you're just impatient? What if God has brought you to a season of testing and suffering so that you can gain a resolve that you will never have outside of going through the experience? So if we're going to follow the Spirit into a future that we can never make for ourselves, it is time for the church to stop blindfolding ourselves with selfishness. If we are going to follow the Spirit into a dangerous future for the cause of Christ, into a daring future for the kingdom of God, it is time for us in our prayers and in our lives to stop blindfolding ourselves with our own selfishness. It's time for us to stop looking away from what he has put in front of us to do. It's time for us to stop pushing away who he has commanded us to love. It's time to start pushing away the things that he has told us, has shown us that we should walk away from. We should focus our eyes on Jesus and never look back. That's all right. Clap. Not for me, but for Jesus. Come on, all over this room, clap your hands. Jesus, help us. Call us, Jesus.
I found a picture of some selfish Christians trying to follow the Holy Spirit. You guys want to know what selfish Christians look like when they're trying to follow the Holy Spirit? Like this right here. Half of y'all know. (laughs) Stupid, I'm going to get in trouble. But honestly, honestly, without a heavenly direction to life, what's the point of it all? Without hope in God's greater and enduring future, what is there? There was a rich, wealthy, wise man thousands of years ago who summed up life like this. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's empty. It's like chasing bubbles. It's like eating cotton candy. So Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to the hope of what lies ahead. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your own preferences and your own temporary comfort out of the way and fill your eyes and fill your heart with Jesus and follow the Spirit into the great unknown. Take your eyes off of self. Let me pastor a bit. This is not easy. I'm praying for you, and you please pray for me. It is not easy to get our eyes off of ourselves. It's not easy to get our eyes off of how bad our circumstances seem and look instead at how good our God is. But we've got to do it. We've got to take our eyes off of all the ways that he, they hurt us, and we've got to instead look at all the ways that he has promised to heal us. Hello, we've got to acknowledge our weakness, but then with my eyes of faith, God help me to see the empty tomb and realize that when I am weak, he is strong. And the grave promised me, the empty grave promises that I might even feel like I am dead, but there is life on the other side. Weeping may come for a night, but joy comes in the morning when we follow the Spirit. It was a song a few years ago that took Christianity by storm, and I don't even really like the song, but I think I'm starting to see why this song moves so many Christians and why it spoke to so many Christians on on so many levels, because I think it's possible for Christians to get bored with simply maintaining faith. Jesus promised so much more than just safe rule-keeping. He promised so much more than being really good until we go to heaven, although that's all included. Don't get me wrong, but what about here? What about now? What about our pain and our suffering and the questions and the doubts that we face? Jesus promised more. He promised victory. He promised triumph and joy and peace. He made us part of a movement that he said hell can't stand against. He promised strength for our struggle. He called the disciples out onto water. He healed the broken. He healed the lame. He forgave sinners. He did miracles as a sign that he was our hope. And then he told us, you will do greater things than what I have done. Because I'm sending you. This is why he said that. Because I'm sending you. Paracletos, the advocate, the help. I go to the Father. And the song Ocean speaks to Christian hearts. Look at, these, look at this first verse. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you 
in the mystery. Well, didn't you know where God was? Oh, I knew where God was. But I find a whole new side of God in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. I love what they say in the bridge. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me. Come on, all over this room. Can you make that your prayer right now? Come on. Spirit, lead me. Come on, take some time. Take a few moments longer. Come on, church family, lift up your voice. Come on, make it a prayer. Come on from your heart, in your own words. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me. Lift my eyes above what I can see. Fill my eyes with the view of faith, I pray. In Jesus' name. There's a a scene in the public career of Jesus that I think really sadly and tragically highlights someone who actually lost control, not generally where someone would go if they're preaching this, normally to pick an example. I'd pick an example that would show you the way forward, but this morning the story just speaks on so many levels to what we've been talking about in this series, and it's someone that lost control to fear instead of surrendering his control to following Jesus. And Mark tells us about it, and History tells us that Mark was a close companion of Peter. Peter was there. Peter was one of the three closest disciples, followers of Jesus. And and Peter, speaking through Mark, he tells us about an encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And in the the times that Jesus was here on earth, he was in Israel and the Jewish life, the Jewish religious life was so interwoven and so intertwined with their secular, their public life. And the young man was a rich young ruler, we know, and he had either earned or bought or maybe inherited some influential position. He was probably responsible for the welfare and well-being of a district of the Jewish people. And this guy seemed to have it all, man. He had youth. He had wealth, he had life and energy and status and power, and he even had religion. He was a good person, as we're going to see. He had everything, but something was missing. Did you get that? Something's missing. When he had everything that we would normally think are the things that we should chase in life, when he had everything, there was still something missing. And three different authors in the New Testament remember the story for us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell this same story from different angles, and So it was something remarkable. It was something that all three of those authors remembered from their time of being with Jesus. And and it's something that we see. It's something that probably Jesus pointed to again and again. And we're going to read a story in Mark chapter 10. And then we'll throw in one little detail from Matthew's account. But in Mark 10, chapter 10, verse 17, he tells us that as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. before. Now think about that scene. A man runs up to Jesus. A wealthy man runs to Jesus and falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's so much here, and I don't want to get bogged down in the details, but this phrase eternal life does not simply mean go to heaven when I die. In short, what he is asking is, Jesus, what do I do to inherit the kind of life that's worthy of living in God's forever? What must I do? And he asked that question. You don't ask that question unless you feel like what you have done is not enough. He's asking a question out of a need. He's asking a question out of a void. And maybe 
That's where you are today. Maybe that's why you walked away before. If you're thinking about coming back, if you're trying to figure out where your faith is in Jesus, maybe that's why your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith didn't become your faith because Jesus is is a little uncomfortable asking this, but is this or was that, is that all there is to eternal life? Was that all that religion and church was all about? Because like the young man, it feels like there should be more. And this young man realizes that everything I've been chasing and everything I hold in my hands is temporary. And Jesus, is there anything that I need to do to pursue something more permanent? And Jesus comes into the conversation probably where we wouldn't. He asks him, why? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And here, this is one of the reasons I tied this into this series. It hits everything we've been talking about. Remember talking about Jesus being the image of God, that he was the blueprint for life, that through Jesus, God's image can be restored in us. Jesus is asking this man, what do you believe about me? Who do you believe that I am? And he goes on and he starts to tell him, you know the commandments, which I love the little detail that Matthew brings in in his account. The young man looked at Jesus and said, well, which ones? I've been following the commandments. I've been following the rules, keeping all the rules, but maybe I miss some because, again, Jesus, it feels like something's missing. Which rules? And Jesus goes on and gives them, you know, the rules. Shall not murder. Shall not commit adultery. Shall not steal. Shall not give false testimony. Shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Don't kick cats. Help little old ladies across the street. Like, you know, the rules. Follow the rules. And the young man looks at Jesus and he says, teacher, all of these rules I have kept. And I've not just been keeping them for a little while. I've kept them since I was a boy. But Jesus, now I'm a man and the adult version of my faith feels a little bit empty. And those things worked when I was younger, but then I grew up and I've been living for a little while and I've tasted a little bit of life's joys and a little bit of life's pains, a little bit of life's gains and a little bit of life's disappointments. And and keeping the rules is fine, but surely that's not all there is to eternal life. What do I need to do for eternal life? Because Jesus, I've done nothing wrong, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing what's right. And Peter is telling this story, and I think Peter remembers the scene and the kids that have just ran away in the desert and the noise and the rich young man with his robes and the jewelry and probably one of the few with nice teeth and probably one of the few around that smelled good coming and falling at Jesus' feet, so hungry for something more. And let me just say in this moment, there's something about coming to Jesus in a posture of surrender. If you're newer to the City Grace family and you're newer to this kind of worship and and responding to messages with altar calls and things like that, there is something just unequal to the posture of coming to an altar in a posture of surrender, coming with hands raised, coming and bending a knee, possibly whatever it is. There's something about just selling out and letting Jesus know, I feel like something's missing and I come to you. And acknowledge who you are. And Peter remembers how Jesus looks at this young man. And he remembers the smile that comes over Jesus' face. And he tells us that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. And sometimes, I'll be honest, when I preach about this more thing, I, I, I do 
especially to our established church family. I worry sometimes about offending people or hurting feelings. That is not my intention at all. I pray that I never come across as condescending or arrogant. I'm not even saying I live this out every day. I certainly didn't for large portions of my Christian life, but God is calling us to more. God is calling us to more. There is adventure in following the Spirit. For those of us in seasons of life where we've simply been doing, we've simply been doing what we know to do, listen to me, we are loved by Him. You are loved by Him for your faithfulness. He looks on you and He smiles at you, but He wants you to know there is more. And at some point, He's going to call you into uncharted territory. At some point, the Spirit will prompt you to walk out onto waters. It will try and teach you to trust without borders. I promise you that. And so he looks at the young man, and boy, does he drop a doozy on this young man, this rich young ruler. He tells him, one thing you lack, go sell everything. Wow. Like for some of us, that wouldn't be too hard. You want to take my 2004 Pinto? Like, you know, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Woo! That's hard. That's hard. Like, Jesus, what in the wild world of sports are you talking about? You've never asked anybody to do this. This is not one of the Ten Commandments. I know. I've been reading them since I was a boy. You never wrote this in any terms and conditions. Abel didn't talk about this in growth track. (laughs) Pastor didn't mention this in the Bible study. Are you saying I need this to get into heaven? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about a different kind of living. I'm talking about becoming the kind of person that is part of a lasting and enduring kingdom where God will reign forever and ever and ever. And Jesus has thrown down a challenge to this young man. Jesus has put a calling out there. And the young man can't ask for Jesus to take it back. He's calling him to something beyond religion, something past, just trying to be a good person. He's taking him into adventure, into wildness, into uncertainty, and and having to depend on God when I've got everything settled on my own. Jesus is saying, there's more. So come, follow me. And listen, in that moment, once Jesus puts these words out into the air, there is only follow or don't follow. There's no negotiating. There's no arguing. He has come to Jesus. The invitation is to follow Jesus. It's not for Jesus to follow him. Before this moment, he could have just stayed wealthy and a little bit dissatisfied with his Christianity or his religion. Before that moment, he could have just been a good person and waited for God to set up his kingdom. But he has come to Jesus because he knows there's got to be something more. But now his faith can't be passive anymore. Now his faith is called to make a decision. Listen, you better be careful what you pray for. There's no takesies, backsies once Jesus answers. 
you got to either decide in that moment to follow or to not follow. And real faith and real trust is proven by whether or not we follow. Mm. Jesus, help me preach. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Jesus is calling you to so much more than what you have imagined church and religion to be. He's calling you into the unknown. Sadly, tragically, the young man, at that, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's hard to give up things that now make up your identity. It's hard to give up things that you depend on, that you rest on, that form your days, that give you structure. It's dangerous and daring to follow Jesus. It's countercultural and it flies against all our normal understandings of what makes life worth living. It takes faith and trust at levels that we don't normally experience. It intentionally, Jesus intentionally makes us uncertain. He intentionally brings us to points and forks in the road where we have to decide whether or not we are going to surrender self or if we're going to hold on to self only to eventually lose it to something else. And it feels like a wild goose chase. We're not sure where it's going to lead, and we're not sure what it's going to cost us, and what's the reward on the other side. But listen to me, I want to tell you something this morning. If there is any part of us that feels sorry for the rich young ruler, it's because we do not understand just how much following Jesus is worth. Following heaven's lead is worth so much more than whatever you are scared to let go of. Listen to me. It is not about giving things up. Can I tell you this this morning? Following the Spirit is about trading what you have for what you could never gain without Him. I don't care how much the young ruler had to give up. Following Jesus is worth more. I don't care where Jesus asks you to go. I don't care where the Spirit wants to lead you. I don't care what you're worried about it costing you. Jesus is our great reward. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is salvation and healing and hope. Oh, come on. Can you lift up Jesus? Come on. Can you tell him how worthy he is? Look at the difference in this young man and the disciples. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they walked away from their own fishing business, which apparently was successful because they had several boats. They walked away with zero promise of money later. It was their identity. They had built this business up so that it supported their family. There was enough resources there to take care of their families for the three years that they followed Jesus. But look what they got in return. Jesus told them, follow me, and they did. And look what they got in return. They heard Jesus give all of the parables with their own ears. They saw Jesus heal the disabled with their own eyes. They drank the wine made from water. They saw Jesus make eyeballs out of spitballs. They saw Jesus undo all of the corruption that was going on. They saw Jesus walk on water with their own eyes. One time they were going to hit him with the oars because they didn't know who he was. One time they were in a storm. They're professional fishermen. The storm was so violent, they thought they were going to die. 
Men who had been on the lake and been sailing their whole life. And when they told Jesus, he got up and went to the front of the boat and settled the storm like somebody might quiet a yapping chihuahua. They saw that with their own eyes. And then they saw Jesus with nails and with blood. They saw Jesus with evil doing its worst to their Savior. And they saw Jesus die. But three days later, they saw him alive again. Thomas got to put his hands into the wounds. What they got for what they gave up. There was no comparison. And it's the same for you. And it's the same for me. No compare. There's no compare. Oh, come on. You've been doing life your own way for a while now. Come on. You've got experiences and regrets that have left you with pain, that have hurt us and hurt the people that we love the most. We've done life, and at times when we gained what we thought we wanted, we have lain our head on our pillows at nights and wondered is this all there is? Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He has sent his spirit to call you and to call me. But it's going to be scary. And it might cost you what you were scared to let go of. But I'm here to tell you the stories sitting all around in these chairs. I'm telling you the stories in this room. Give witness that Jesus is worth everything and anything that you would trade to gain him. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. I wonder, can we all stand in the room this morning? I'm done preaching. But I wonder what that young man would have paid to experience all of that later. I wonder what he would have paid for the adventure of a lifetime, to be part of the Jesus movement, to see Jesus do all, to be empowered by Jesus, to do those things themselves. The disciples were empowered to heal. The disciples were, disciples were empowered to perform miracles. Peter walked on water. What would you pay to walk on water? I don't know. I'm scared to skydive, so I don't know if I'd walk on water. But Pretty sure it probably feels like the same thing. I imagine there's sharks in the bathtub sometimes. I just don't like the ocean or the sea. But what that young man was asked to trade, it wasn't worth all of that. What you're worried about having to let go of, it's not worth peace. It's not worth a clear conscience. It's not worth a, a different way of being a human or being a man and treating your wife. It's not worth being changed by Jesus to love your husband differently than you have before. It's not worth becoming a better parent, the best kind of parent. It's not worth bringing healing to the people around you that are hurting. Oh, come on, there is nothing. There was nothing that we could ever trade that would not be worth gaining Jesus. So what about you? What about you? What does it mean for you to follow the Spirit today? What is he bringing to your attention? What's, what's still undone? What feels like there's something missing? What area of your life? What hangs in the balance of full-on surrender to the Spirit? Who hangs in the balance of you surrendering to the Spirit to, to speak something to them that you know God is prompting you to say? 
to give something into a need that you know God is leading you to, to heal them with love as God's Spirit flows through you. The paracletos come alive working through you and through me. Or maybe, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe there's still some things between you and following Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed the prayer where you give up. Maybe you've not yet prayed the prayer where you surrender and you let go. Maybe today is the day. Maybe you're here on purpose. Maybe today is the day when you ask for that forgiveness. Maybe today's the day when you put that addiction into his hands. Maybe today is the day where you let go of that thing that you were so afraid to let go of. Or maybe today you have prayed for forgiveness, but today is the day you ask for more. Today is the day you ask for the Spirit. Maybe today is the day that you tell him, my heart is empty to make room for you. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, there's all kinds of wild that come with that. But it is so, so worth it. Maybe today is the day that you speak in a heavenly language for the first time. Maybe you've never let go of your emotions in a gathering like this and you've been kind of worried about it. Maybe today's the time where you come like that young man and maybe you fall on your knees or maybe you stay and just lift your hands. But whatever it is, you give him a gesture of surrender to let him know, I am all in with you, Jesus. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.